I'm Jim Frawley, and this is Bellwether. Welcome to Bellwether. Thank you for joining again this week. This week, I have a guest, another guest. And I always give you really, really good guests because I'm, I'm very specific in the way I pick my guests. I get guests that I think are going to be impactful for you. And this week, I have the author of Women of Color in Tech, Suzanne Tedrick. We talked a lot. When I talk about guests, and the reason I bring guests on is because I like to pick people who will challenge the way that you think. I don't just get any guest who wrote something, you know, great or or did something impressive. You know, we can all do impressive things. I like people who do impressive things, but they can also teach you to do something or think in a different way that's going to be impactful. And that's really where Suzanne comes in. Suzanne is a technology executive. She works at Microsoft. She does cloud computing. She does all of this great stuff. But she wrote this book, Women of Color in Tech, as a guidebook for people looking uh, to mentor the next generation of technology innovators is what she says here. So how to inspire, how to mentor. And my first question for her in this interview, which you'll hear in a minute, is, is this book written? I mean, it's really a guidebook for anybody who wants to get into technology. It's not just for women of color. It's really, I got a lot out of this book. Uh, I'm not, I'm not a woman of color, as you could probably, as you could probably gather, but it's really just a blueprint on how technology isn't just an industry. It really permeates everything that we're working in. And my first question for her is not just, you know, did you write this just for that next generation? Or did you also write it for the people who are leading these organizations on how to lay the proper foundation to make people successful? We know from a business perspective, diverse ideas, diverse perspectives give better ROI, give better revenue to the bottom line. When we take a look at those companies who have the diverse perspectives in leadership and throughout the organization, those companies do better for their shareholders, for their clients, for their people, for everybody. So the idea of diversity, the idea of inclusion, the idea of equity is valid, uh, extremely valid. We know this. I mean, step number one is to give that idea validity. But now how do you actually make that real? And making that real is the really hard part, and it's the really difficult part. So we have just great, great, we have a great conversation talking about vulnerability and how how do you get people coming up into an organization to meet the high expectations of what they need to do? And how do you get leadership to bring the organization to meet them halfway so that you can have just this really impactful change of culture and 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 driving just the culture and organization that would make everybody successful. So if you didn't see this live, for those of you who follow me in all my wonderful places, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, all the places, Clubhouse, I guess I might even be on there somewhere. Um, <laughs> we do some of these things live. So follow us. You can hear it live when we do it. But I also, if it's a really good interview, I'll, I'll repurpose it and put it into the podcast so it can live in infamy and and be beneficial to people beyond uh, just that live moment. And Suzanne is someone who's going to live beyond just that live moment because Suzanne's ideas uh, are, are 
besides brilliant, they're just, they're really impactful and they're really important. And that's what I really, really like and love about Suzanne is that um, she took the time to wrote the book, um, to write the book. She took the time to recognize what she wished she had. And uh, she's now taking the time to to educate and, and push people to be, we all can be pushed to be better. Legitimately, we could be pushed to be better. And with sincerity, I say that this is one of those topics that we can all be better and we can all continually improve. So get the book, Women of Color in Tech. You are going to love Suzanne. I'm going to turn it over to that interview now. Listen to Suzanne. Recognize um, that she has just just uh, uh, great ideas and, and what it means to advocate and what it means to really be supportive of other people and making sure that our companies and our cultures are what we expect from great companies and cultures. So with that, I'll turn it over. Thank you as always for paying attention and listening, and I look forward to seeing you out there soon. Thanks. Hello, welcome to Bellwether. We are live today, as I love to do with really, really interesting guests. Today, we are here with Suzanne Tedrick, author of Women of Color in Tech. Uh, Amazing book. I want to talk a lot about the book, a lot about the impact on technology, a lot of all the stuff that, that she typically does. The reason I wanted to have Suzanne on here um, is because I like having really interesting people who are thinking really interesting ways and doing really interesting things. So if you listen to some of my previous interviews, um, we just had Scott from Watchestry who was talking about his French Navy watches, but finding passion and, and finding those trends and, and all the things that we always talk about, but we don't have something real and tangible and, and all of that. Suzanne has something extremely real and tangible. And that's kind of one of my big criteria for my guests is who's got something real and tangible that we can all learn from. And uh, this is going to be a, a fantastic time for you today. So Suzanne, thank you for joining. Thank you so much. Please tell everyone about you, what you do and, and everything else. Awesome, Jim, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, so I am the author of Women of Color of Tech uh, for Wiley. Uh, it is a book that is meant to inform and inspire women of color to pursue tech careers. It's really meant, as you said, to be tangible, actionable uh, advice on, well, where do I belong in the tech industry? What do tech uh, industry careers look like beyond those that are very software engineering or coding based? Um, and how do I position myself? What are the experiences I need, the skills I need, the people that I need to be reaching out to? And it then really talks about some of the unique challenges that women of color have been facing in the industry. So what we've noticed in the last couple of years that while there has been an uptick in women of color getting into tech professions for a while there, there was a negative migration where they were coming in, but they were leaving. And so the book talks about those specific challenges as to why that's happening. And we talk about bias, microaggressions, um, but sometimes it's also just making sure that you have inclusive environments or making sure that you're addressing your mental health. So it's really meant to be a, a, a solid resource uh, for anyone who might be coming right out of school looking for a career or like myself where you know, you've, you've thought about a career, you've done other things, but now's the time to uh, go into tech. And uh, I'm also fortunate to be uh, working at Microsoft as a cloud infrastructure specialist, talking a lot about how companies can transform you know, their existing IT leveraging cloud. Um, you know, sometimes my conversations are more about uh, cost or efficiency, but then helping them realize, hey, I can do some really neat and innovative stuff with data, AI, uh, you know, IoT. Uh, so really just 
painting the picture of the art of the possible for clients. I love that. The art of the possible. <laughs> and and what's what's great about that is from a real technological perspective, like you're in it, you get it and you're doing it for your clients. But the art of the possible goes into the book as well. Right. And and I like how you talked about two different things is it's. Yes, it's a blueprint for women of color, but as I was reading through it, not a woman of color, I was getting a lot of things from this to say, this is a blueprint for anybody, really. And what I like about what you just said is you've got the corporate culture, which is supposed to bring out the best in your people, no matter who they are, right? Everyone brings these different perspectives and that's what every leader is aspiring to and it's what everyone talks about. But the real tangible way to do that is kind of muddled. But then you also talked about the mental health aspect of what the employee brings. So there's two, these two areas need, need to meet. There's a, there is advice across the board. What's your balance between educating that next generation coming up to say, young women, you can be successful in tech. Let's focus on your mental health. Let's focus on what you're bringing in. But then also the senior levels of an organization, I'm educating you as well on how to make these people successful and give them the platform. What's that balance for you? Yeah, um, it's it's work that I enjoy doing for both. So I, I spend a lot of time mentoring uh, informally and, and uh, formally wherever I can uh, for women of color and people of color who are just like me trying to figure out what, what does a tech career look like for me? What makes sense? Uh, but there is that part that has to happen at the corporate level or, or, the, or, or the community level about how do we make sure that the support systems are there to support these people coming in through the pipeline and that they feel like they can bring all of themselves to work and thrive and be successful. Uh, one of the organizations that I'm aligned with is uh, CompTIA, which is an IT professional organization. And specifically, I work on their executive council for attracting tech talent and diversity. And so we do talk to our, our corporate members about not only do you have to think about where you recruit people, you know, that's part of the, you know, the conversation, but you have to think about how are you going about recruiting? Are you making inclusive um, job descriptions? Are you, you know, thinking about how are you developing their skills? And then the actual environment itself. You know, what are you doing to create a, an, an environment that people feel you know, good. And so it's, it's, it's kind of like you have to kind of do both at the same time, because as I've mentioned uh, to many people, women of color can't do it alone. It, it, it is a, it's a societal, you know, community issue that we all have to work together to, you know, address. So this is, um, this is heavy, especially for tech companies, but I hear this from clients beyond tech is, and we'll, we'll stick with tech is, you know, as an industry, it's had its problems with diversity, which we know, right? And not just from a women of color, but male, female diversity. And, you know, across the board, you hear these stories of just saying, this is not an environment that's designed to make people particularly successful. And so how do you, I, I mean, is this a level of real heavy conversations that leadership actually needs to have on saying, what are we actually standing for? And uh, how do we just rip this Band-Aid to make it, you know, you're not just going to patch it up here and there to say, oh, you know what, we did this little bit. How much of a commitment is this? Is this going to fundamentally change the way that leaders are thinking about their organizations? Yeah, I think you hit on something I think is very important for uh, tech leaders to understand is that 
these are not easy discussions and there aren't any hard right answers. They, they, they require everyone to be critically thinking about their, their approaches in the past and whether or not that's actually serving them in the present and in the future. One of the topics I talk a lot about is allyship, uh, you know, someone who is consistently helping marginalized communities. But the thing that I always emphasize about allyship is that it is not easy. You will make mistakes and it, it, it is hard. But if we're trying to have the transformative change happen, if we're trying to move this needle, we have to do it. And there's really no getting around that. And I think tech leaders know that this is the case. Um, the, the events of, of last year with the, the, the killing of uh, Ahmaud Arbery, uh, George Floyd, I think really emphasized that we, we've got to have these critical discussions and we have to have a level of not only saying what we need to do, but a level of accountability and, and actual action. Yeah. Now, how do you see, so George Floyd and, and all of these, you know, the, the horror of the past year and everything that, that went on. Um, I do feel like the concerns that had been expressed before were finally being seen with a certain level of validity. Okay. And, and people started to say, Oh, you know what? you know, maybe there's actually is something to this and maybe we're not doing enough. And uh, there were more and more stories that were coming out about, you know, here's my personal story and everybody seemed to have a story and everything else. So when you look at leadership to say, yes, we want to hear these stories. Yes, we want to do that. Then seeing the decisions that actually have to be made to make that real, suddenly they're saying, well, that's maybe a little too far, right? I, I, want to, I don't want to go that far. How do you... Um, you know, is this bringing more people into leadership positions? Is this setting up so, some way that they can actually push the organization in a way and actually be that ally and champion for the right way it's supposed to be? Do you have any advice for people like that? Yeah. Um, and, and again, for each organization, it's tricky what it what it ultimately looks like and what what has to happen. Um, I try to think about there, there was something that a life coach many years taught me. It's the the idea of the bigger, if the bigger yes. If I'm saying yes to one thing, I'm saying no to another. So if I'm saying no to making these drastic changes or or having these this difficult dialogues, I'm ultimately saying yes to something else that you know, and I might need to examine is is that really what I want to you know to kind of put forward. For me, when I think about technology organizations and when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, I feel like it's uh, you have you don't have a choice, and it's not from a social imperative. It's from a business impact imperative. When we talk about innovation, when we talk about you know user experiences, things of that, it pays you know both from a philosophical and a dollars and cents perspective to have diverse voices at the table, you know, working through making these products, working through providing these services versus having an homogenous group, you know, kind of dictating this is what, what's gonna happen. You leave so many opportunities on the table to reach new clients. You leave so many opportunity, opportunities for, you know, innovative new products. I mean, it's almost like shooting yourself in the foot to be, yeah. to be frank, you know? Right, right, it is. And the studies show, you know, the more diverse organization that you have, 
the better impact it has on your bottom line, right? And and mm -hmm. you could see comparing different industries and, and different companies within those industries, taking a look at the diversity on the board or diversity in leadership teams, those with more diverse leadership teams tend to have better profitability. So it's actually good for business. Yeah. But what I, and you hit a good point there is, as companies are trying to keep up, the industry is changing extremely quickly. Everything is happening so quickly. You need those different perspectives to help you stay at least caught up with the curve, if not ahead of it. What can organizations do? You know, Tell me more about the different perspectives that people could bring to help drive that organization. How do you drive this innovative type of culture to say, you're seeing something that I'm not, and how do I create a, a pathway of communication within the organization so that we can actually get the info we need? Yeah, so I think what's been helpful is the creation of business resource and employee resource groups where, um, you know, depending on the affinity, you know, race, culture, or, you know, sexual orientation, um, I think those provide not only a means for uh, support for those communities, but I think it really provides visibility to the larger organization of like, these are probably things you haven't thought about, you know, for whatever reasons, but maybe you might want to consider thinking about this a little bit more deeply. So those are sources of you know, competitive strengths that I think that if companies aren't already leveraging those, I think that they should think about that more deeply. Um, if organizations don't have those, I, I would consider, hey, maybe, maybe it might be time to start having those discussions about how to do that. And I know that for the, the second part, part of it may be because um, you know, having that lack of diversity to begin with, like, okay, I don't even know where to start, how to have that conversation. And there are so many organizations that will help you to have that conversation, get that education, to make those necessary, you know, connections, those gaps of knowledge or, or people. Uh, and it's important to leverage those organizations as well in your journey if you're, if you're not at that place where you have employee resource groups. And then, so to get started, and, and one of those is we have this ideal vision of what the organization could look like, right? Um, but I, I don't think anybody can just say, hey, this is over. We've, we've tackled diversity. We've got enough people. So this, is, <laughs> this yeah. is actually an ongoing conversation. And we should think about that in a different way versus I need set people in this particular place. Give me your perspective so that we could be profitable is more about what incremental changes can we make and learn from it as we continue to evolve what our expected is going to be so we can find those groups to help us start that conversation yeah every so just thinking about it from a you know just pure business like no technology company is successful by remaining stagnant they always have to have those continual improvements of innovation agility so on and so forth and uh, diversity equity and inclusion is no different. Um, it's, it's going to require an ongoing discussion, people and people really learning from each other. I think for some people, when I tell them, like, as a, someone who is an ally to other groups, I am learning as well. We are all learning and we're all just trying to be better so that we can help support one another. The moment that I go in with a less than continuous learning mindset that like, I know everything. And, you know, that's that. That's not good. <laughs> no, right. Yeah, it's not going to work. That's <laughs> not good at all. <laughs> you know, I don't remember if it was when we had initially talked about this. Um, 
you talked about how you personally felt the need to exude perfection rather than vulnerability. And I hear that often from executives. I need to have all the answers. And that's, it leads to this standstill of saying, I don't have the answer, so I can't make a decision. The learning mindset, how do you define this vulnerability and learning mindset? How, you know, how do you get people to make learning their own, take ownership of learning where it's okay to not have the answers? Great question. I think it's important that in environments that it cultivates a, a learning atmosphere. And what I mean by that is when you do fail or you get something wrong, that the repercussions or consequences are not like punitive. Because people learn from you know past behaviors. It's like if I make a mistake here and you react harshly, I'm probably going to be less inclined to do that again, but I'm not going to take any risks either. And so it's really important for organizations to really embrace that people will fail, people will get things wrong. Um, and rather than taking that as an opportunity to punish, that's an opportunity to teach mm -hmm. and to get and to make better. And so the, the same thing applies in your in your personal life, like just remembering that technology takes time to learn learning how to be a great ally takes time to learn and you're not going to get it right all the time um, it's not a matter of punishing yourself when you miss the mark but it's what could i have done better you know for next time what would have been a better if if i had approached this again so that's where the real continuous learning happens yep now continuous learning from the top of the organization Right? We think about organizations as this living, breathing thing, right? We've got, yes, we can be the CEO of a company and say, I want to learn. But then when you go down level, the managers where the real learning needs to happen, it kind of gets dysfunctional, right? It might change based on whatever. Um, but this is also part of your advice for the next generation as well. I'm saying this is something that you need to learn as you're coming into an organization on saying you're not expected to have all the answers, but it's it's not really that simple because you know what for a, a woman of color coming into a technological organization do you feel added pressure to not be vulnerable because you need to at least exude a certain level of confidence in order to be successful how does an individual coming up and what advice would you have for the next generation to say um you are capable you are able you can ask questions to get that comfort level and and almost like an imposter syndrome get past that yeah that's a that's a tricky that's a tricky one because uh, actually that was one of the things i struggled with during the writing of the book because you're right for for black women there almost is this expectation of of excellence at 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 any cost and it, it can be damaging. It can be very damaging because, you know, when, when inevitably something does happen, uh, you, you tend to internalize it and take it much more, you know, deeply and personally than perhaps was warranted. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it, it's true that the more that you're open to making mistakes and having that learning mindset, the more successful you will be in your career. So I think the best two pieces of advice that I can give for um, other women that are coming in, have a tribe, have, have your network of people who are going to be the people that will tell you that you can do it, know that you can do it, push you when they need to, but provide, you know, a, a, a shoulder 
or an ear when you need it. Because you, you definitely will need that in the course of your journey. Uh, but it's also important to to be selective about the places that you work at. And so I'm very much an advocate of I'm interviewing you just as much as you're interviewing me. Mm-hmm. And you can, you know, then there's things that you can kind of tell, you know, about a company's culture during the re- recruiting process, during, you know, your own initial research or talking to other people, whether or not this is going to be an environment that is going to be supportive of that continuous learning mindset and is going to support you. The moment that you feel otherwise, I would say take that as a as a sign. I, I mean, just thinking about my own career, I got plenty of signs. In fact, I think some of them just hit me like in the head and I was just like, eh, nothing. <laughs> I won't go into the details on that again. <laughs> <laughs> it's like trust your gut trust your gut <laughs> yes 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 uh now well so trusting your gut is easy and it's not it's not yeah right i mean it's it's you know i still need a job i got to pay bills but there's also kind of you know is this the right environment for me mm-hmm. besides getting into an organization so let's say you get into an organization and ideally it's a great organization that's supportive and everything else how do you raise your visibility in the right way? Do you have to be really strategic in the way that you're thinking about, especially, you know, with the pandemic and your virtual and everything, how do you commit to raising your visibility in an organization? I don't want to say in the right way, because that just doesn't sound, but in a way that's most impactful for you. Do you have any advice on that? Yeah. Well, I mean, it it is a little bit of, of strategy because, um, you do have to understand the organization to some extent because you may you may have a vision and a plan, but if you don't have a good pulse on the organization, how things are done, the people that you need to know, your your strategy may or may not actually serve you well. Um, so I do think it's important to you know understand not only the culture but the goals of the organization, the goals of the people, you know, understanding leadership and understanding how you you know, fit in and how you add value. Um, Then there's the larger conversation of, well, where do you want your career to go? And you want to be thinking, you know, maybe a position or two positions out about what that longer term plan is. And then thinking about, well, what are the skills and experiences I need to kind of augment to get to that point? And, And then having, you know, a discussion with not only your manager, but your mentors and your sponsors about what you're thinking about so that they can kind of course correct if they need to, or you know, provide additional resources or perspectives that will help you on your journey. And I like that you actually have to dictate it right? yes. because other people can't do it for you. Um, even though plenty of people have opinions on what you can do, they're not the ones who can actually dictate what your next role is. You actually have to voice that for whatever group it is that's gonna be your support system. Yeah, that was a really hard lesson for me to learn <laughs> that really, because I, I was under this impression, like, I'm awesome. Everyone says I'm awesome. Therefore, things should just come to me. And, and, and trial and error finally taught me that's not how this works. Right, right. And I, I sum it up uh, with a piece of advice I got from uh, one of my uh, best friends, Sam. She's like, the closed mouth doesn't get fed. I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> How about, um, so this is good. So we've got from an organizational perspective, you need your committee. 
right? And this committee yeah. needs to be diverse to say, is this the actual culture we want to do in order to get the best out of our people? That's so leadership needs to focus on it, um, both from a, a corporate, but also an individual saying, what are you doing as a leader to say, you know, am I promoting the right things within my organization? For people coming up into the organization, you also need a committee to help you, you know, it's almost, I like to call it your personal board of advisors, but how do you do it and say, look, I'm struggling with this, or, you know, am I doing this and I need some coaching or mentoring or whatever it is to say, this is where I actually want to go. How do I articulate what my next kind of role is? And, and people can help you with that. Beyond those going into, I guess, beyond demographics and people, what's next for the tech industry? And what do you see as, you know, where should everyone be focusing their attention and, and you know, beyond just maybe the people perspective, what's next for, for tech? And I, I know you're going to say cloud, something with cloud, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't whatever know why you, you would say that, but. Whatever do you mean, Jim. <laughs> so, so, yes, in, in, in full transparency, um, I, I think this is a, a great time for, for cloud computing. I think cloud has not, it, cloud has always kind of been positioned as this digital transformation kind of lever for many enterprises and organizations. Yeah. But I think with the events of last year and even now, I think we're starting to see the necessity of cloud computing and how much, not even just for innovation, but just operations and keeping mission critical, you know, tasks and workloads going. We, we, we now know that cloud, you know, you need it far more than you think you do. Right. So I think cloud is always going to be in the picture for many organizations for, for a foreseeable, foreseeable future. And we're going to start to see a lot of innovation there in terms of, um, I don't know if you're familiar with serverless computing, but rather than <laughs> rather than committing but i to, will be after this after this interview <laughs> i'm gonna go look it right up but you know with, with things like serverless and infrastructure as code it, it's more of a thing of rather than committing to a month's worth of cloud computing resources or a year's worth i spin up some code i do what i need to do and i shut my resources down i save money i save time i save headaches so i think we're going to see more of a conversation about that um, but aside from cloud computing, I really think uh, artificial intelligence, I, I think, is really, if it hasn't already come to the fore, I, I think it is now. And I mean true artificial intelligence where we, we have machines just kind of thinking on their own, reacting on their own, um, you know, reacting to you know, situations and so forth. Um, we're using AI to a fair degree now for just kind of more mundane things, um, but a lot of that still requires uh, human interaction. So I'm the person that's kind of programming, you know, how the, the AI bot does what it's supposed to do. We're getting to a point now where we don't need to necessarily do that as much. We kind of give the, the, the thin framework and then like, okay, I'll take it from here. <laughs> um, but with that, we, we do need to be careful about making sure that uh, the AI is being equitable to all groups, yeah. you know, and that it's not compounding existing biases or, you know, or, or, or other negative things that, that come with it. But um, I, I definitely think AI is, is a place that we all should be, should be watching out for. And I would never have thought of that until I recently <laughs> read an article about how AI 
could intrinsically be biased simply because of what it's learning from. And it's, uh, which blew my mind. Like I would never have thought of, you know, you think you think about robots, just figuring everything out and doing, um, but it's still impacted so much by, by human behavior and what exists today that we don't even, it's just an assumption, right? We, it, you don't even think about it, but it just exists. That's not actually equitable for everybody that AI is learning. And all of a sudden you have to go back and say, wait a minute, that's not, that's not actually. Not yeah. Fair. And, and, and we do, we do need to keep an eye on bias because as AI is becoming more and more ingrained in a lot of our everyday, you know, workings, uh, what we could see is some unintended consequences. So like when it comes to, you know, legal affairs, when it comes to credit, when it comes to housing, when it comes to jobs, um, AI can have an impact on already existing right. biases that are present in all of those particular areas. So we don't want to further compound what's already there. I, I love the saying unintended consequences. I feel like I've heard <laughs> that, you know, for everything. And it's it just shows that things are moving so quickly. You almost have to give that little clarification to say, you know what, unintended consequences, but we're making progress. And that's <laughs> um, but you know, it's got to be the right progress, and we have to, you know, it's important to watch it. You said something a second ago, like, "Oh, I'll just spin up some code." Um, I, I'm not gonna. So now I'm thinking of my four-year-old, and you know, how am I gonna teach her to just spin up some code, right? Because, you know, so what would you say? To young women looking to get into, not, I mean, she's four, she doesn't even know what a career in tech really means, but you'd want, you know, maybe for parents or for young women, maybe in high school or college, thinking about a career in tech, this is going to change so quickly. What advice would you have? What what would you say to them? Are there um, other industries beyond tech that maybe they should also consider pursuing? Where should they be focusing their attention? What do you think? Yeah, um, so I'm actually going to start backwards from what you said, because um, so I think a lot of people just think of tech as this like monolithic industry. But the, the, the truth is tech is in everything that we do now. Like it's in fashion, it's in medical, it's, it's everywhere. So I, I can't think of any industry that isn't using technology to some extent. So I, I, that's why I tell people broaden your, your pie of what a tech career looks like, because it, it can be in another industry, but it could be very tech intensive. Um, and it doesn't necessarily need to be at, you know, one of the, the fortune 500 technology companies, it could be a startup, it can, it can be, it can be anything. The important thing is just really thinking about where your passions are, like what, what excites you, what motivates you, um, and thinking about the, the ways that you would like to apply technology. So for like myself, I love being able to, you know, think about, uh, you know, professional sports teams and, you know, games and everything and, and how you can apply cloud um, to a lot of the things that they're doing. I think that's awesome. But it doesn't necessarily mean that I have to be a, a complete techie. <laughs> you know, like I, I, ha I have to work at, you know, this company in order to be in tech. So I think that's important. Um, for parents, um, aligning to STEM education programs early and often, I think are, are very helpful. Uh, so one of the nonprofits that I did volunteer work for in the past was Black Girl Code, and they do a lot of uh, training and resources um, and, and other support for you know, girls that are eight, between the ages of seven and 17 to learn about different types of technology careers. Um, and there's so there are so many um, intervention programs, um, and it can start as early as in you know grade school. So my advice to parents 
you don't have to feel like you're alone in that respect because there are tons and tons of organizations that will augment some of the learning that you're getting in schools, um, it, you know, or, or for that matter, if you happen to be in what's called a STEM desert where, where there isn't really uh, rigorous uh, STEM training, um, there are a lot of outside professional programs that would be able to assist you. I, I think you said it, I wrote it down the last time we talked, in order at the heart of being a technologist, you have to be technical, but you don't get technical technical until you learn how to be technical. And that's, I mean, for you to say something like, oh, you know, I think it's interesting to take cloud computing and what it could mean for sports teams. When you speak to someone about, oh, you're going to get a career doing something with technology, you don't necessarily think of, you know, those creative ways to leverage technology to do really interesting things. And I think that's the really exciting part about it. It's not just sitting behind a computer typing code. It's about actually solving and creating new ideas and a lot of creation. And it's really uh, almost artistic to a point where you can build something that has never been built before, which I think is pretty cool. Exactly. There's there's just so much diversity in terms of what you can do in tech in terms of you know, you're, you're, you're the person building it, or you're the person that is building the interface for it, or you're the person selling it or telling the business, hey, if you want to be great, you know, at innovation for the next five years, you may want to consider this. There's so many ways that you can do it. Um, but to your point, there is that that kind of technical education foundation that has to happen. So just understanding what computer networking is, understanding uh, databases, like, having that fundamental knowledge will at least unlock a number of different opportunities for you where you can start doing all the fun, creative stuff. Yep. Yep. Perfect. So what's next for you? How do people find you? And we, I also have to ask you to make a book recommendation. I don't know if it's going to be this one. I'll make the women of color and tech book recommendation. Well, thank you, because I'm like, I, I might be a little biased there. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, lots of great things um, on, on my agenda for uh, the next couple of, uh, of weeks um, in terms of speaking engagements. I'm really happy to be doing um, my first two keynote speeches for uh, two different organizations. Um, and I'll also be speaking for uh, speaking at the New York Public Library on November 1st, which is um, something very near and dear to me, um, having been a you know person that grew up in New York and spending misspent youth in, in libraries. <laughs> really, really um, you know, really wonderful to see that. But, uh, it, you know, for folks that want to keep up with me, uh, you know, I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter. I also have a website, SuzanneTedrick.com. Perfect. Oh, and my book recommendation, my book recommendation, um, if, if people haven't had the opportunity to read uh, the memo by Minda Hart, totally, totally recommend really talking about how women um, can ask for seat at the table in their businesses and advance their careers. So uh, highly, highly recommend it. Perfect. The memo. But don't read the memo until you read Women of Color. <laughs> That's the first one. Suzanne, this is fantastic. There's so much to learn um, from so many different levels, right? Top of the organization, how to make your organization and culture a welcoming place that will take the best and make the best out of all those people coming up. Getting those diverse points of views and different perspectives and everything is really going to drive, you know, 
aside from being just the right thing to do, it drives good bottom line revenue and profitability and everything else. And it helps you stay advanced to whatever changes are coming. For those looking to get into a new organization or looking to get into a, a, a new industry, or tech, especially in technology, you have to do the work as well. And it's very similar, but different advice on that front. So all of this, I got a lot out of this book, uh, Women of Color in Tech, simply because it gets you, if you internalize it and you think about what does this actually mean? And, you know, it's it's bigger than just that one, you know, particular area. It's a, it's a really, uh, really tangible um, blueprint, like it says on here, inspiring and mentoring the next generation of technology innovators. So it's fantastic. So Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. Much success to you. I can't wait to see this New York Public Library thing because that's uh, fantastic. And everybody else, thank you so much for joining. As always, bellwetherhub.com has all the podcasts and all the information that you could possibly need. So join us, bellwetherhub.com. Thank you for listening. And I'll talk to everyone out there soon. Thanks. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. Now, do something for yourself. Bellwether is much more than just a podcast. Join us at bellwetherhub.com, where you can read riveting articles, view upcoming events, and connect with other interesting people. I look forward to seeing you out there soon.